Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. So before we begin today's episode, Dear Black Girl, I just want to remind you guys that on May 8th, if you haven't seen it already, we are going to have our first event of 2018. It's called the We Major Black Millennial Woman and Music. And this is going to kick off a series that highlights the experience of black millennial women who have forged their own paths within various industries. Now, this discussion is set to explore the many paths and challenges guests. Panelists have faced in triumph over during their journey along the way, giving attendees an exclusive look into their lives and career. And we're kicking the series off with some of our favorite black women within the music industry. RSVP for the event is super free. Uh, you can hit the link in our Dear Black Girl pod bio on Instagram, or you can just type in wemajor.splashdat.com. We hope to see you guys on May 8th. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dear Black Girl. And today, our special guest is a multi-award-winning entertainment correspondent who just got back a few weeks ago from L.A. covering... What, the Oscars, the black women in Hollywood? Yeah, Uptown Magazine's tribute to black women directors. And yeah. A lot of stuff. Yeah, ABFF <laughs> Honors, American Black Film Festival, which has been around forever. And now they have this wonderful new activation that's three years old called ABFF Honors, you know. Oh, I remember the first time I saw that was last year because they do it with BET, right? Yes, BET is definitely one of the um, one of the sponsors, and the show last year aired on BET. So, yeah, Jeff Friday, who is the CEO and founder, you know, just gives us the gift that keeps on giving uh, with the American Black Film Festival, and it was definitely exciting to be a part of it. I mean, this is a great time to be black, you know, in entertainment and in film, and to keep moving the narrative. So, so before we keep going, guys, dear black girl, meet Tanisha. Yes. I said it right. Yes. Oh, thank God. Cause I was practicing Hi, dear black girls. <laughs> so tell people more of what you do and how you got into it. Well, I got into, uh, you know, I've always, you know, my mother likes to tell this story about how I've been reading since I was three years old, mm-hmm. you know, and my father was definitely, you know, an avid reader, you know, so I come from a household of, you know, parents who just wanted the absolute best for their children. And, um, you know, I was just drawn into television news and storytelling. Um, you know, did I always know I was going to have a career in television and in film? Yeah, I really did. I just didn't know how it was going to take shape. Okay. You know, I um, I was editor-in-chief of my school, my high school newspaper called The Welcome. I attended Chester High School in Chester, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, prior to attending Chester High, I attended another high school um, in Hendersonville, North Carolina called Hendersonville High. And um, I was just very active in anything that gave me a chance to speak and to create stories and to debate. Um, and so that's where like the, the, the beginnings of of my career started. You know, the first time I entered a television newsroom, I was 16 years old. 
I was a student at Chester High School. My um, advisor for our school newspaper, Mr. Grimaldi, recommended that I apply for what was called the KYW News Studies Program. KYW is a television station in Philadelphia. You know, of course, I was a shy and reluctant girl. I was just like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get this? Because it was very competitive. I had to write an essay and write another essay and write another <laughs> essay. You know, and, um, you know, my father, as stern as he is as a man and just stoic, made sure he held my hand. He did hold my hand. He would like to say, no, I didn't hold your hand. But he did hold my hand through the process, which was great. And, um, I got in, you know, I was hand selected among, you know, hundreds and hundreds of applicants who applied and, you know, to be a young woman and to have my skill set validated in that way was definitely a big deal, you know, and I went on, I pursued, you know, a career in acting as well. You know, I went on to uh, Edinburgh University, then I transferred to Cheney University of Pennsylvania, which is the oldest HBCU founded in 1837. So I have to say that. And while I was there, Cheney, I, you know, I studied radio, television, and film all under the communication arts umbrella. So, mm-hmm. you know, I did everything. You know, we wrote and produced documentary and film. You know, we had our radio station that was set up. We had our television station that was set up. I did my uh, internship uh, at WCAU NBC 10. Uh, that was one of three internships that I did. I actually, I think my first one was maybe with Fox, and then I did another one with KYW, and then I circled back to NBC, and NBC was my home for about five to six years, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, my internship at NBC 10 um, became a full-time job. I started out, you know, as an intern, and I treated it... Like, I was getting paid six figures, girl. <laughs> like, I was showing up. Like, I was getting a check. Like, my jack was parked downstairs. <laughs> you know, I was very serious about it. And, you know, I worked my internship, you know, extended to like a year. And, you know, you're not supposed to do an internship that long, mm-hmm. you know. But they just let me fly under the radar. And I did my job. And I took it very serious. And the next thing I know... um, Prior to even graduating college, I had a full-time job. I actually delayed my graduation, you know, um, to be really transparent. I delayed my graduation because I wanted that real-life newsroom experience while the opportunity was in my lap. You know, I worked at NBC. I was a production assistant and then an an associate producer, desk assistant, You know, and I just, I learned a lot from every single reporter that was there. I did a rotation, much like, you know, a med student would do a rotation in a hospital. You know, I did a rotation in the newsroom. I worked in sports. You know, I worked in the investigative reporting area. Um, You know, I worked in the hard news area. There was no entertainment space because entertainment was just a lunacy back then. Like, you just didn't say you wanted to be an entertainment reporter. Like... (laughs) What? Like, what is that? Like, you know, who does that? Like, why would you say that out loud? You know, and I knew I always wanted to work in the entertainment space. And it wasn't even a space back then yet. You know, we're talking the late, the early to mid 90s when I was there. You know, so you just didn't talk about, you know, being an entertainment reporter to people who were who were basically taking me up under their wing to be mm-hmm. this hard news reporter. I'm gonna <laughs> go over to the Middle East and report on the Gaza type news. I'm like, man, I ain't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like, I ain't doing that. But I was obsessed with, you know, Access Hollywood had just launched with uh, Giselle Hernandez, I believe was her last name. Um, and I was obsessed with this platform. I couldn't get enough. And I'm like, wow, like, where is that platform? Like, where is that platform for me? You know, because that was based out of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in Philly. So this is before I actually even came to New York, right? Yeah. I mean, New York was much later. New York didn't happen until like, you know, a decade and maybe a decade and a half later because I went to Los Angeles. Um, you know, once I was burned out from working at NBC 10, um, you know, I just had this itch, you know, to go out west and pursue acting. And that's how I got to L.A. And I just remember my friends and family were like, what? You're going to leave NBC 10, you know, to go <laughs> to L.A. and be an actress. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, Halle Berry was like the new ingenue. You know, she was popping off. She had this short pixie haircut. I'm like, Psh. I'm going to do that. Like, <laughs> please. I'm not going to let Halle Berry be the only one out here getting roles. And, you know, I had, um, you know, money saved. You know, I was a former Miss Cheney University of Pennsylvania. I'm a former Miss Black Pennsylvania. And I remember, you know, just taking a little bit of money that I had saved, you know, from my pageantry and then, you know, working at NBC. And I'm just like, I'm out of here. You know, moved to Los Angeles and, um, I'm like, okay, now that I'm out here, what? Like, (laughs) where do I start? You know, where do I go? And I, it's so funny because, you know, L.A. is not a walking town. At all. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's so crazy because I just posted on social media last night. I said, if you are struggling in any way, you know, New York will cover you. Where L.A. will expose you really quickly. Like, if you don't have it together... L.A. will really expose you, you know, and I just remember like walking and people were like, where is she walking to, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, like people really don't walk out here. They don't. Because I remember one time I went there, I wanted to go to brunch and I didn't know the public transportation system. So I, I, um, it looked like it was walking distance. It was like 20 minutes. I was like, let me start walking. girl, And I was like. Oh, this is too spread it out for me. L.A. is very spread out. Well, you know what? Now, you know, they have these, you know, burgeoning neighborhoods. They have downtown L.A., which is totally done a flip from when I moved out there in 1998. You know, so now you have downtown L.A., which is trying to be like New York City. I mean, New York City is unrepeatable. But what they've done to what they've done downtown makes it look like, you know, this brand new city has just emerged up out of the earth. It's crazy. It's beautiful is wonderful you know they have a nightlife you can walk around but it's never new york city you know just never ever going to be new york city but i just remember standing on the bus stop on like la cienega and what was it like la brea and la cienega i'm standing literally on the bus stop you know and these guys pull up and you know a truck and they were just like hey you know we're gonna go be on malcolm no we're gonna go be on um what was the show? It was a Robert Townsend. It was like a dancing show, L.A. Live. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were like, we're going to be on L.A. Live. Like, you should come. And I'm like, I'm not getting in y'all's <laughs> I'm like, at the end of the day, like, I'm still a city girl. You know, while I was, my parents coddled me and my siblings. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to get in y'all's car. But if you tell me where it is and I'll meet you guys there. 
Girl, I got there. It was like an hour and a half. <laughs> it was like an hour and a half later. And I, they were up at the front of the line, and I was all the way in the back. And I just remember like, oh, my God, like this city is not built for transportation. Not at all. Not in the least, you know. So, I mean, those are my early years in L.A. I did extra work, uh, tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of extra work, um, you know, trying to earn my SAG card. Um, and I eventually did earn my SAG card, you know, thanks to um, the men and women of a television show called For Your Love with Holly Robinson-Pete. It was directed by Yvette Lee Bowser, um, who's an amazing writer and director, producer, um, you know, earlier in her career she worked on a different world which is like a cult classic yes <laughs> yeah you know and now they have grownish which is I like this generation i know right <laughs> which is like this generation's a different world mm-hmm. it's it's amazing but you know i remember back then you know working towards becoming a sag actress because that was it mm-hmm you know, my friends back home in Chester and in Philly and New York would ask me, well, did you get your SAG card yet? And I'm like, no, I'm I'm trying. <laughs> you know, all my other friends around me seem to have been just growing leaps and bounds professionally, you know, in the field. And I just felt like, oh, my God, like, why isn't it happening for me? You know, and I like in just looking back, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is like nothing comes before it's time. Mm hmm. Nothing comes before it's time. You can't rush it and you cannot trick the grid, the life grid. You just cannot, you know. And so I just stayed on message with doing my extra work. And it was the looking back, it was the best experience, you know, of my career in L.A. in the entertainment space because I had the opportunity to work with some of the most amazing directors. You know, I mean, I worked with uh, Scott, you know, who at that time was directing episodes of Providence. I worked with Stan Lathan. His daughter is Sanaa Lathan, you know, and out of my naivety and being young and because these men were, you know, African-American like myself and they were a father figure, I would just go up to them and be like, hey, can you put me in the frame? (laughs) Can I be in the shot like (laughs) where am I going to be you know what I mean and people were looking at me like this girl is crazy but it was just really honestly like my naivety and my hunger and just my you know drive and ambition really kicking in and um you know, it really gave me an opportunity to learn the language, the vernacular of, you know, filmmaking and directing, you know, checking the gates, you know, back to one, you know, just everything, you know, having a, a wardrobe trailer, just everything. I learned so much by being an extra and the pay was horrible. Um, back then I would get I think we were making as a non-union extra, we made forty six dollars for eight hours worth of work. Oh, God. Yeah. But here's the thing. You would always go into overtime because to make one episode of it, to make one half hour episode takes about a week, mm-hmm. you know, and the, sh- the shoots are usually 10 to 12 hours, maybe 14 hours, you know, but you your check would end up getting bumped because once you worked eight hours and there was like overtime and then there were like meal penalties. And, you know, if there was smoke on set, then you got another bump because there was smoke on set, you know, so I really learned a lot about working, um, you know, on set, you know, and just I mean, even just in terms of of, you know, um, being a stand-in, 
you know, like I can remember working on a stand-in for a couple of actresses um, who are like, you know, my same height and weight and, you know, just being in that space and just really learning everything that I could possibly learn about being on set. And it contributes to my being an entertainment journalist because when I'm in front of the talent, you know, I get to have a full developed conversation because I know their journey. I know what it's like to be on set every day, you know, and I know what it's like you know, to be hungry and to want that big opportunity. So, you know, when I'm interviewing them on a carpet at a major award show, like I'm, I'm excited for them because I'm like, oh my God, like you're here. I'm here. We all here. Like we made it. Hell yeah. High five. Like, let's do it. You know, instead of really, you know, undercutting the value of what they've done and what they've accomplished and just minimalizing it to what are you wearing? I hate that question. It's so vapid. It's like, really? Out of everything, what are you wearing today? Yeah. I love it. Yeah, wow. I can't even... I can't even. If I'm asking you, what are you wearing? It's because I'm having a hot flash and a mind flub because I'm a woman of a certain age and I done forgot my whole kit of what I wanted to say to you. <laughs> okay. But I'm not asking someone, you know, you don't work this hard. This industry is very competitive, you know, and I understand, you know, people, I'm, let me just roll back the tape a little bit. I work as an independent mm-hmm. and a freelancer, you know, but primarily I'm an independent. So I create and develop all my content. Every word that comes out of my mouth is constructed, you know, by me, you know, so I don't have a producer in my ear telling me to ask things that are not going to help move my culture. And for those people who do, you know, I, I just, I don't know what to tell you except to find an avenue where you can have a better and stronger voice because you don't want to get in front of a legend. You don't want to get in front of people like, you know, Danny Glover and Alfre Waterd. You know, I mean, these people are the ones who lit the way for us. And so to get them in front of your mic and all you can come up with is what are you wearing? It's tragic. It's quite tragic, you know? And so, um, you know, that's a whole nother conversation is, you know, working as an independent versus working with or getting with like a major network because, you know, it's about money and living and having a lifestyle as well. But it's just like you, you forego so much, I think. Not saying that I would never want to partner with Access. If you're out there, I would like to come on in a guest hosting capacity, maybe. Um, but then I also feel like you just lose so much. Because now you're under a corporate umbrella. Right. You're, ugh. You know, and having started my career very young as a 20 something year old woman in a corporate news structure, I'm like, ooh. Not for you. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to say that it wasn't for me because, I, of course, I learned a great deal working at NBC. But I also, you know, am very aware and very mindful of how sensitive the times are that we're living in. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we talk about like what's the kid Bruno Mars, who's you know circulating in the news today for you know cultural appropriation and all that great stuff. And you know, I just don't want to look up you know ten years down the line and Wakanda is just all white somehow you know what I mean (laughs) anything is possible anything is possible girl because the game is crazy 
You know, and so I often talk to, you know, young men and women who want to be in this industry. You know, when you tell me you want to be a television personality or a media personality, I don't even hear you because I'm like, what is a television personality? What is a media personality? Are you a journalist? Are you going to tell the story? Are you going to have integrity? Are you going to be able to move culture? Are you going to be able to move the needle? You know, is someone going to be able to look back at your body of work and use it um, to benefit who they are and where they they want to move the culture too. And if we have a whole highlight reel that's asking some of the most, you know, prolific African Americans in the space of television, writing, directing, producing, music, film, art, you know, the literary world, what are you wearing? <laughs> Girl, bye. <laughs> Girl, bye. Song number five. My playlist, I, well, the, the fifth one is. I shouldn't even, it's everything I just talked and then the fifth song <laughs> on my playlist is Mask Off. <laughs> I know, I can yeah, Mask Off. No, that dog on Future, that, that song is something about the beat, you know, and I've never been one to try and be like, oh, okay, well, it's the beat. But that day a mask off, girl. Okay, this past award season, you know, um, I was in L.A., like you said, for about nearly two weeks. And that was like my go-to get ready music. You know what I mean? Because it's it's game time. You know what I mean? It's just like I'm not taking any prisoners um, whatsoever. And that future mask off song just did it for me, you know. So, yeah. So what's some of the challenges you've faced so far as being a black woman within the entertainment realm, especially like as trying to be an actress and as far as reporting on the red carpet? Well, you know, I really don't like to I I, I don't like the word, you know, challenge, Um, you know. There are circumstances, and mm-hmm. it's it's how you view it. You know, we both work in an language is everything, right? You know, and I just think if you say the word challenge, then you're you're already like, oh god, like you know, <laughs> I'm defeated. It's just not going to happen. And you know, I just really just like to say, okay, what type of adjustments can I make? Okay, um, yeah, that's positive. I like that. Yeah, like that. what type of adjustments have you had to um, make? Do I have to make? to get to where I need to be, you know, um, you know, and sometimes, you know, our industry can be really cliquish. Um, you know, sometimes I just don't want to deal with certain personality types. Um, but I also know that there's a bigger picture, you know, and so I have to, you know, dial back certain things about my personality, you know, to make sure I can work, you know, with a bigger network, you know, of men and women who are doing what it is that I'm doing. Because, you know, sometimes people are just full of shit. It just is what it is, you know, and I just am not, you know, in the mood for people, you know, sucking up my time or, you know, saying, oh, let's do a partnership or, you know, let's do this. And it just does not materialize. Like time is money and money is time. That reminds me of the meme that says the biggest waste of time is let's link up. Let's link up. Let's chop it up. Let's chop it up. Or let's get... Oh, oh, put it in my PayPal. <laughs> put the money in my PayPal. Put the money in my PayPal. You know, and that that's another thing is, you know, you're often told, oh, you got to get out there. You got to network. You got to be at this party. You got to be at this event. And the bottom line is you got to work. You got to be in the shed working, you know, because everything will be born out of that. Mm-hmm. God will provide everything that you need. 
or whatever you, you know, I call him God, Yahweh, you know what I mean? You know, God is God um, for me. If you call him a microphone, whatever it is, you know, <laughs> you have to know that God will provide for you. He will reward the fruits of your labor and everything will be in its time. You know, so you going at a party, you know, wasting an outfit, wasting a face beat, you know, trying to network in a packed room is what is that going to yield? Nothing. Nothing. You could have used that six-hour block, the time it took you to get ready, the time it took you to get there, the two hours that you spent, the time you're coming back home, you know, to really, you know, be in your studies, be in the study of your craft, you know, be in the study of your craft. Like you have to live it, breathe it, you know, drink it, smell it, absorb it, get it into your DNA because that is that's what you do. It's not who you are, but it's what you do. And you want to do everything in a spirit of excellence. And so, you know, don't waste time. Don't let people think, oh, you know, you got to be here. You got to be there. Networking is great. You know, and there are some events that you do need to attend, but you just need to be really, really strategic about it. You have, you have to ask yourself, okay, why am I going to this event? If you find out, you know, somebody that you admire is going to be there, then you zero in on that person, you know, and you have a strong pitch game for them. Like, don't waste their time, you know, drop them your business card, you know, and be ready, like operate in the spirit of readiness. You know, I have people who are like, oh, you know, I want to be a reporter. Then I go on their Instagram and I don't see any reporting of any kind. You know, I'm like, we live in a day and age where everything is right at your fingertips. Google, a camera, a phone, everything. If you're really about this reporter life, then get out there and report. Don't wait for it. Because what you're waiting for is it may not come to you, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you want to talk about, you know, the word challenge, you know, I, I would say, you know, just getting people to accept that the game has changed. That is a challenge. The game has changed. Yes. And why y'all mad that the game has changed? Because it's created an opportunity for people, you know, like myself and other people, you know, who have a different type of voice that may not be the voice for, you know, a specific outlet, you know, to work independently and still get our voice out there. Why are you mad, son? <laughs> song number four. Oh, song number four. Um, song number four is Roberta Flax, Killing Me Softly. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. I love that song. You know, when I, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, a special someone, you know, I just that I automatically like go to that song because, you know, girl, he's killing me softly. (laughs) (laughs) He is killing me softly. But this song is so beautiful. I mean, you know, we don't um, often talk about like that kind of deep passionate, authentic, you know, attraction and and love for another human being. You know, everything is just so transactional and so conditional, Um, you know, and killing me softly. It's just like, she's just like, you know, I love you. I want you. I want to be with you. Get into my system. Like you're just, you know, you're killing me softly. Um, Yeah. So that is definitely uh, a song that is in my playlist. It's just like number four on my playlist. What What do you think made um, people's perception of, perception of love move from that deep feeling to just transactional and surface level? You know, because, you know, everything is just instant gratification. Mm-hmm. 
everything is instant gratification. You know, and on top of things being instant gratification, you know, we've gotten away from, um, you know, things that we need as men and women, you know, um, like women don't want to say that they need a man. Men don't want to say that they need a woman, you know, because then it's like now you're like codependent and you need therapy. Um, but, it, you know, it really isn't that deep. You know, God cre- created us, you know, to work together, you know, in partnership. And, you know, I need my man. I don't know where he is. I don't know who my husband is. You know, I'm I'm dating. Um, but I, you know, welcome, you know, tradition. Do you know, I know that we're in the middle of this great big feminist movement, which is great because I believe that women should be treated fairly. I don't believe we should be marginalized in any way. But I'm very careful also in, you know, Xing out the male presence, period. No, like I will bring him his slippers and I will draw his bath. And if he wants me to feed him and a cup of tea in the tub, then yes, so be it. Because you know what? You're going to, you're my husband, you know, and I'm going to be your partner. We're going to be each other's help me. And I just think we live in a society where, you know, I can do it for myself. Well, you can only do it for yourself, but for so long, Mm -hmm. you know, well, I can make my own money, you know, and the materialism piece. I mean, that's the focus. As long as you can make your money by yourself, then what? You don't need a partner. You don't need, you know, whatever your partner looks like. If you're, you know, LGBTQT, if I'm saying that right. But for me and my world, you know, I believe in having male covering, you know, and that looks a very specific way for me. And, you know, in order for your relationships, in my opinion, in order for your relationships to work, then you have to dial some of that stuff back. You have to dial your ego all the way back. You know, love has no pride. Love has no pride. You know, if you really like that man or you really like that woman, you better say something. (laughs) You better tell him. You know, you better tell it. Like, tell it. You know, because you get to a point in your life where, you know... um, you know, I hate to quote like mahogany, but it happens to be one of my all time favorite movies when, you know, Diana Ross is in this back and forth with Billy D. Williams. And he's just like, you know, success is nothing if you don't have anything to share with, you know. So while we have our passports and we have our, you know, social symbols that or these status symbols that say we've achieved some level of accomplishment, some level of success, you know, like, who are you talking to about it at night? Who's your coach? Who's your hitter? Who's the one telling you, go baby, go kitten? Like, you can do it. I don't know. That's what I desire. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't speak for another woman, but I just think, you know, society has just pushed us, you know, where it's just access about, you know, this idea of how much can we consume, you know, and if you're doing it for yourself, then you don't need anybody, which is just utterly ridiculous. You know, I don't know about everybody else, but I get older. You know, I, you know, <laughs> I get older. Maybe y'all don't get older, but I get older. And, you know, I'm going to need help getting my dress on. You know, I'm going to need somebody to unfasten the clasp in the back. You know, I'm going to need somebody to, you know, help me in and out of the bed. I'm going to help. I'm going to need help. And I want to want to give help. 
I want to be the support system. I want to be the doting wife. You know, I want to be your, the loudest player in your horn section. You know, I want to show up for you. I want you to show up for me. And, you know, it's about the collective work and responsibility of the family structure, of the black family structure. And, you know, I, I, I hope the pendulum swings back. I really do because it's it's bad out here. Yeah, I feel like people are afraid to be that vulnerable with other people. Well, because again, it's like, oh, you know, to be vulnerable means to be weak. But do you know how much strength it takes to be vulnerable? It takes a lot. Yeah. It takes no strength to go out here and put up a facade like you don't need anybody or you're or, or anything because that's just not how we're wired. We're all connected to this universe, right? We all play a major part. So how people are getting along out here independent of another person is beyond me because <laughs> I'm not one of those people. You know, I have help in every aspect of my life. Coming from, you know, my siblings to my parents to my friends to the lady on the subway who's just like, you know, you look great today or keep your head up. You know, you know how many young women I see on the trains of New York City crying? We are hurting. People are hurting. You know, little black boys lashing out, you know, in ways that are just unimaginable. The love piece is missing and people are operating from a place of lack. It's like, what are you afraid of? People are afraid of getting hurt, you know, and so it's easy to put up this, you know, this veneer, this this fake wall. And in theater, you know, there's something called like the fourth wall, you know, mm-hmm. so you're breaking the fourth wall, you know, and so it's just um, it's just very easy, you know, to go out and pretend you don't need anyone or need anything. And, you know, I just hope you I hope, you know, all of you, whoever's listening can just, you know, have the strength and the courage to be authentically you. Tell your mama that you miss her. Tell your daddy that you miss him. Tell your sister I miss you. Your brother that, you know, I miss him. Your friend from college, call them up. Call them up. How are they? What do you guys have going on? You know, stop thinking that whatever you're doing is just so, like, hot and dope. Because this other term that I hear all the time is calling people basic. (laughs) <laughs> she just basic <laughs> well excuse me what's like what's basic because when you look at it the basics and fundamentals are what we need to thrive we need food we need love we need clothing and we need shelter those are basic but y'all out here calling people basic for what when we are all so transformative she may be basic in your eyes today but she may be able to cut you a check in another two or three years just give her some time you know, so come on, like, knock it off. Basic, why is she basic? Because she don't want to spend her money on red bottoms or Louis Vuitton bag or all this other foolishness that, you know, people want to say somebody is basic for. You know, she has a job that is not as sexy as yours, but your sexy job, you can't even get the checks cut from the network that owes you money. But this other chick is so basic, you know, so it's just like, fix the language. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, I think we've just gotten away from it because society has just pushed us to do it for ourselves. I mean, you think about, you know, the United States government, you think about, you know, slavery, you think about, you know, the welfare system and how, you know, in order for a woman, for a woman to even get public assistance, her man couldn't even be president in the home. I mean, girl, I don't even, I don't even think we got the time. I don't even think we have the time for me to sit here and just go down the whole like dossier of, you know, why, 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 why? You know, but I just encourage people, find the love piece. 
you know, and sisters, you know, if and to the men too, if you are in these relationships and there's not working, you have to have the courage to abort immediately. Abort, abort immediately. It does not take all day for somebody to show up for you. You don't have to date that man for a year and wait for him to come around. Please, girl, <laughs> no. Don't do it. Don't do it. And to the men, you don't have to buy her things she can't afford to buy herself. Like, if she wants you to buy her an expensive bag, ask her if she got the coin to buy it herself first. You know, see if, she, see if she's doing it all for herself first. These expensive gifts that, you know, she's wanting you to buy for her. Like, what is that? That's not love. If she's asking you for money to pay for a class... Maybe I can rock with that. But, you know, to be asking a man for money to get you a pocketbook, that's maggot life. That's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Song number three. (laughs) What was my song? Oh, Philadelphia. Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. you're from Philly. Chester. Yeah, right. You know, and so, um, but then the other piece of it, you know, to be from Philadelphia and to be from the Chester area, you know, Philadelphia, I mean, the movie, I mean, about, you know, the AIDS crisis, you know, which people, you know, we're pretending that AIDS just went away. AIDS is still here, you know? And so that's the other component It's just like, don't you want your hitter? Don't you want your personal help me? Like... Let's let's decrease the 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 probability of you know sexually transmitted STIs or sexually transmitted diseases or infections. You know I forget what the new term is, but whatever it is, you don't want your insides on fire. You don't want something floating in your blood that's going to take you down. You know what I mean? Because you're living in in this moment. You know, so you know Philadelphia is that one song that just really keeps me aware, um, and it's a painful song to listen to sometimes. You know, really painful. It can take you there. Um, But it just reminds me of what is at stake. Every time you lay down with somebody, you know, what is at stake? Because we're all saying that we're practicing safe sex, right? That's that's what we're saying. Mm -hmm. You know, but the numbers are different. The numbers are saying that we're not practicing safe sex. You know, so when you think about, you know, the song Philadelphia, it's like, okay, the stakes are so high every time you lay down with somebody for every aspect of your health, your sexual health, your mental health, your spiritual health, your intellectual health, you know, like somebody you're allowing somebody to siphon, you know, off of you. You know, and when I listen to that song Philadelphia, you know, when I be, um, you know, just like that girl then I would listen to that song and it would just bring me back into the fold. Like, reel it in. Like, reel it in. What was it like growing up in Philadelphia for you? Well, you know, I grew up outside of Philly, which was Chester. And, you know, it's so crazy because my parents provided such a wonderful life for me and my siblings. And I can remember being about like nine or 10 years old and transferring to a new school. And my father is a an alum from Cheney, just like myself. Um, We graduated 20 years apart. And my mother was just, you know, this beautiful, just, you know, woman who, you know, who stayed at home for a while, you know, to raise me and my siblings. And, you know, then, you know, she started working towards her education as well. And, you know, my parents were very doting and they provided me and my sister and, you know, my brother who came along a little later with everything that we needed. Um... And I can remember, you know, we were living in low income housing and I had no idea, 
you know, because we were going on trips. My daddy went to college, you know, we had a car, we never wanted for anything, you know, and I just remember like going to school one day and this girl was just like, you live in the projects and not even knowing what the projects were. You know, and the way she said it, I knew it was foul. Even at nine, I was just like, this bitch is coming for me. Is she coming for me? Even at nine. You know, I was so aware of, you know, um, social status. Very young. You know, so when you got some chick, you know, rolling up on you. And I just, I'm looking at her because I was clean. I was polished. You know, my fingernails were clean. You know, my skin was glowing. My teeth were done. You know, my hair was was combed neatly. My dress was perfect. I had a handbag with my um, little school knapsack. Like I'm like, what in the hell is this at nine? I was like, somebody better get this. Somebody better come get her. You know, and I just remember like going home to my mom and I was just like, do we live in the projects? And like this look just washed over her face and she was like, talk to your father about it. <laughs> talk to your father about it. You know, and this is me being really transparent, but my father's, you know, family lived in this. We all lived. It was called the fairground, the fairground projects. I didn't even know they were projects like honest to God. I was living well. Um, you know, but my father's whole family lived there. And, you know, at that time, you know, I, I'm assuming, you know, because this is something that me and my dad never really talked about. I'm airing it out on radio show. But um, I just remember thinking, like, you know, if you went, the math didn't make sense to me. I'm like, if you went to college, then why are people telling me we live in the project? Like, it just didn't make any sense to me. You know, and I guess, you know, looking at my father as a whole man and just knowing how he operates, you know, I'm thinking the thought process is if if I go, then who's going to help my other family? And it's that rare thing, like when you leave, come back and help the next generation. Right, right. You know, and we eventually moved out, you know, and that was the other aspect of it, too, because it's like, you know, once you you move out. You know, and you're living this suburban life because that was the goal back then. It's just like everybody wanted to live in the suburbs, you know, and then to come back, um, you know, to the projects where, you know, my family was living. And also in the Ben and Holmes projects in Chester, Pennsylvania, which is where my mother's family was living. Her side of the family was living when my grandmother was there and she had other siblings that, you know, did not live in the projects. But, you know, it was this whole thing of like, I just remember being so shell-shocked and thwarted because I wasn't, there's this idea um, if you live in the projects that you look a certain way, you dress a certain way, you behave a certain way. And none of that was who I was. And I can remember my mother always saying to me, you know, we're here by default. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because she really kept me and my sister like this. We Mm -hmm. were like... We weren't allowed to go anywhere or play with anybody. Like, the children had to come to us. We had a big backyard. It was fenced in. You know, my mother would cook, and, you know, she would do all sorts of things. And, you know, the children had to come to us, and we had to be in the house at a certain time. Like, my parents were just not having that. Mm -hmm. You know, in any particular camp, you know, that was in the suburbs, my mother was doing all sorts of paperwork. You know, she was like the mother in this book called The Color of Water, um, where the mom, I can't even think of the author right now, I'm having one of those like, you know, mind flubs that you have when you're in my age group. But um, the mother in this book, you know, 
she wanted the best for her kids and she would like have them she would sign them up for camps like that all the rich kids were going to and that's what my parents were doing you know and i would um i would always be in um you know some sort of like um it was like a jedi mind trick for me Always, you know, even with my friends that, you know, I grew up with who were also living in the projects. It's like I knew my life was very different from theirs. I would never say it. I would never like speak about it. But I knew my at home life was very, very different and very specific. And I began to develop a chip on my shoulder because I hate it when people say, oh, well, you live over there. I'm like, what does that mean? Because in my home, you know, my mother is teaching me about language and art and music. We had a piano. You know, my dad is making me and my sister recite speeches from Marcus Garvey and Martin Luther King and Ida B. Wells. You know, real education was going on. It wasn't just left for school. You know, so, I mean, just to talk about, like, what growing up in Chester was like, you know, it was great. Were my parents perfect? No. Did they argue? Absolutely. But did they give me and my siblings everything and then some? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. You know, and so if you want to talk about Chester as being this dark place where people are like broken and hurting, that's that existed. But that is just not the story that I have to tell about my coming up in Chester. I had beautiful parents. You know, they were young. They were sexy. You know, like my parents are beautiful, girl, gorgeous, gorgeous, you know, and they had these, you know, these two little girls, you know, my brother had come along later, but, you know, and they worked really hard. Everything was for me and my sister, everything, everything that my parents did was to benefit their girls, you know, and so um, growing up in Chester was, was fine for me. You know, I was coddled, I was loved, I was taken care of. And, you know, even outside of, you know, my parents, there was a strong community base that I had. You know, my parents were members of Bethany Baptist Church and Calvary Baptist Church and Chester. And the community would take care of us. I mean, we're talking like, you know, in the 80s, you know, I'm a teenager. I'm a young teen. I'm like a preteen, you know, and I couldn't go anywhere. I was at that age where like new edition was coming out, <laughs> you know, Bobby Brown, like it's my prerogative, you know, Tenderoni. I was like, I'm a Tenderoni out here. And the neighbors were like, oh, no, you're not because I know who your parents are. You know, does your father know you're out here? Does your mother know you're out here? I'm like, I can't even get my tenderoni on <laughs> out here. <laughs> this is a problem. You know, so I was definitely, um, I loved my upbringing. You know, and all my friends, you know, regardless of where we lived in Chester, be it, you know, you know, the fairground or the Bennett or the Williams Circle or down on the 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 Moken Street or the LV or the McCafferty Village or, you know, we were all Chester people. And it would, it would be funny because you had girls who um, lived across the street from the projects who thought they were so much better. I'm like, my girl! <laughs> I'm like, my girl! <laughs> we saw them come get your daddy car! <laughs> we saw them come get your daddy car! Like, y'all ain't really doing it. Like, like we're all in this together. It didn't matter, like, where we were, mm -hmm. you know. But I, I have to say that all the women that I grew up with um, are doing exceptionally well. Exceptionally well.
every last one of us, you know, we said that this is what we were going to be when we grew up and we did it. Every last one of my girlfriends were like, this is what I'm going to be. And they're joining it. You know, they have run for, you know, city official appointments. Um, you know, they are doctors, they are lawyers, they are beautiful wives, you know, they are authors. They are just doing it and all out of the city of Chester, Pennsylvania, which is considered, I remember journalists wrote Chester is like the armpit of America. But, you know, what small town isn't that you guys have jammed in a corner without any resources? And I often say to young men and women from Chester, it's not a verdict. Because when you get out into the world, everybody feels like they come from a Chester. Even the people who live in New York City are like, oh, my God, I got up out of New York. You know? (laughs) Yeah. They did do that. Yeah. Like, so wherever you're from, it just isn't a verdict. You are who you believe you are. You know, you belong where you believe you belong. And I belong on a red carpet, which is why I get out there and and turn it up. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's just like you are who you believe you are and you belong where you believe you belong. You know, so like that's that's the best advice that I can give anybody who is just mind jammed about where they're from. Like, really? That had nothing to do with you. Honestly. You know, like my mom used to say, ask your dad, ask your father, <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's your parents. That's your parents choice. That's their decision that, you know, wherever you're growing up, they decided that that's where the family would be, you know, and then maybe for reasons you don't understand at that time. But that's their decision. When you become of age and you decide where you want to be and you get to claim all of that. You get to claim it all. You know, I claim Chester. I claim Philly. I claim Hendersonville, North Carolina. I claim Brooklyn when I feel like it. And I claim Harlem, you know. And Harlem is definitely close to my heart because it reminds me of what Chester could be on a different scale, what the intentions were um, for Chester, you know. And Harlem is much the village that I need. You know, so, yeah, I, you know, I can't speak for everybody else that grew up in Chester who had a different experience from mine, but I, I was lucky. I was fortunate. I was loved. I was doted on. I was cared for and I was educated, you know, by the same people that educated you. That's all I can say. Song number two. <laughs> a Bridge Over Troubled Waters, Like a Bridge Over Troubled Waters by BB and CC Winans. Yeah. You know, because everybody needs that bridge. It's gotten me through like finals. You know, it's gotten me through disappointments, heartbreaks, you know, it's, um, you know, it's been a bomb um, when I didn't get a promotion that I thought I deserved when I was, when I got looked over, you know, because, you know, Becky was clearly getting the gig, you know, so yeah, like a bridge over troubled waters is definitely, um, you know, that's on my number two in my, in my playlist. It's a song that just... Uh, remind you that you're not out here by yourself. How did you come across it? You know what's crazy? My high school boyfriend sent it to me. It was like, we used to have, when I was a student at Chester High School, around Valentine's Day, or the week of, we would do what was called dedications or something. You know, where, what was it called? It was like dedications or, I can't remember what it was, but you would have, a messenger. Oh, we um, call those um, grams. Yeah, something, Candy grams yeah, or something like something that. Like, yeah, exactly. And he sent me this song. 
I know, right? Yeah, we were so we were so mature. We were so yeah. We were so evolved in my day. Yeah, he sent me that song. One of. Because I had a few other suitors too. They sent some other songs, but this was <laughs> This was the one that stuck. Yeah, that one, yeah. He sent me like a bridge over troubled waters. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Wow. You know, and everybody else was getting, um, people were getting songs like, oh, what was that? Shanice, Shanice Wilson. She had a popular song out and, you know, Jody Watley was hot and Regina Bell was hot. So everybody was getting those songs. And then, you know, this guy comes with like, like a bridge over troubled waters. Did he ever tell you why he sent you that song? Well, yeah, it was because it was like he knew that I had a very strict household. <laughs> okay? okay, because you know he just couldn't like. Yeah, my parents were not having that. Like we can only date in school. Like after three o'clock, my dad would be up front, like in the car, like get in the car, <laughs> get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so of course it was like a tragedy. You know, like your high school, like, you know, my high school woes was like, oh my God, like, my dad won't even let me see my boyfriend. He's like the Gestapo. He's like idiot mean, like, oh my God, you know? So, yeah, back then when we were having, uh, we thought that that was like the fall of civilization. <laughs> Because it clearly was during that time. That's yeah. all you had to worry about. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Yes. Girl, but yeah, you could not tell us. We were just like, oh my God, what? This is just awful. Because mm-hmm. my father was not having it. Like, he was the type of dad that would show up to the school. <laughs> Girl, he would be in my classes. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. You know, but you know, back then, he wore me all the way down, like, to my pinky toe with that. But I'm so grateful. Like, so grateful. I owe my parents, you know, everything. Everything. Because they had to advocate. Mm-hmm. They had to advocate for us, you know. So my dad was like, look, you told me you were in school. I'm going to make sure you were in school. Because I know you like this little boy over here who's sending you grams. Talk about <laughs> Like a bridge over troubled water. So I'm going to be your troubled water if you're not in this English class at 9.15 in the morning. And if you're not in homeroom at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm about to be your troubled water. And you really going to need that bridge. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yep. Did you expect that song to stick with you like for this long? No, I didn't. But it really is like it's burned in my soul. You know, which is why, again, like, who you allow in your space is just so important because, you know, the scars are long-lasting, you know, and we say they go away, but we just really try and put a bomb on them because, you know, we have triggers, you know, and when you think you're over a particular thing and then you hit a trigger, you know, and you got to be able to recognize what those triggers are. So you can be like, okay, I'm going to stay away from this situation right here because this person or this type of environment or this kind of situation will make me feel something that's counterproductive to me moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, but no, I had no idea that, you know, back in 1991 that, you know, this song would stay with me. You know what I mean? It's... um. 
wow, you know. And I remember um, there was another song too that it was Whitney Houston uh, song that everybody was getting. Uh, gosh, which Whitney Houston song was it? I forget. Just that quick. A <laughs> girl's real. It's I real. To, no, I started to sit down and think about like what movie came out around that time. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, the bodyguard was out. Was it You Fill Me Up? You're all the man I ever need. You fill me up. All the man. I can't even remember. But whatever songs were associated with that bodyguard, mm-hmm. it was it was that too. And then Mariah Carey had dropped. You know, like all these people who are just, who have just blown up. And now Whitney no, is no longer with us. And, you know, Mariah Carey is like midlife and having people hoist her <laughs> middle-aged body <laughs> on stage. I love it. I'm here for a girl I know. I know that hormone shift is not a game. <laughs> Mariah's like, I'm putting this sequin body suit on empty way. <laughs> and y'all gonna carry me. Y'all gonna carry me. Y'all gonna hoist up all this flesh. Yes, y'all. You're gonna carry me. I'm with you, Mariah. I'm with you, Mariah, girl, because it's real out here. It is real. Yes. Song um, number one. Song number one is Candy Girl. New edition, girl. I will all, I mean, Candy Girl. I mean, it must have come out. I, who was running for president? Like Walter Mondale or somebody? Who knows? But, you know, Candy Girl is like my first girlhood song where you're starting to dial into those, like, I like a boy uh-huh. feelings, you know? And it's so sweet and it's so innocent. And now when you look at Bobby Brown and all those guys, you look at Bobby today, you're like, Jesus be a bomb Gilead on Bobby. <laughs> Jesus be a bomb. Um, but, yeah, I love New Edition. I mean, they came out with the New Edition story and everybody in my generation went crazy. <laughs> crazy. Because this is what we had been waiting for. Girl, people were calling off work. We were tweeting. We were on social media. It was a thing uh-huh. last year when BET did the New Edition story. I mean, they had Luke James and all these other little young hotties just taking us back to a time. And we were like, <laughs> yes, Luke James. Yes, sing it. Sing it. Sing it. Yeah. Yeah, they did as well. We were, I mean, New Edition was it. You know, they came in as like, you know, Jackson 5 was for my mom and them, you mm-hmm. know. So, yeah, that dog on Candy Girl. Candy Girl, you're all my world. Yeah. That and Cool It Now used to always oh, be. Oh, Cool It Now. Oh, my playlist in college. And I used to always, me and one of my friends will always like fake dance. <laughs> oh. We got bored. Girl, Cool It Now. All those songs, New Edition, I love you. I will always love you. Always love those guys from New Edition. Those Boston boys. Give it up for Boston. (laughs) Give it up for Boston. Yes. You know, it's so crazy because I just, um, you know, in covering the ABFF honors, Lisa Nicole Carson was there, um, who was in the Bobby Brown, I mean, in the New Edition story. You know, and it was just so good to see, you know, Lisa Nicole Carson, who was on this show called Allie McBeal. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You know, and, you know, she disappeared for a while. And we, you know, we just send in Lisa lots of love and just you know lots of light for Lisa Nicole Carson it was just so good to see her and to see her you know back join her thing you know in the new edition story and then there were tweets and stuff because I forget what the one line she hit it was like don't you see I'm on the phone (laughs) you know in a way that only a black mother could you know how you know black mother boy can get just be so rank and 
you know, violent stank on hers, girl, when she's yes. not in the mood, honey. Yeah, she was like, don't you see I'm on the phone? <laughs> like, whoo. I'm like, oh, wait, let me let me get myself together. <laughs> you know, and so it was just, I mean, that one line, you know, just put Lisa back into the conversation again, you know, and just to see, you know, her at ABFF Honors, which again, like I said about Jeff Friday, the owner is, you know, just so amazing uh, to keep giving us the gift that really keeps on giving. Yeah. I think that the whole ABFF thing is amazing because they allow up and coming hosts to make workshops for them, filmmakers, mm-hmm. they give them that opportunity that they really need yep. to have to yep. succeed in their career. Yep. Everybody that I know has been associated with American Black Film Festival in some capacity. Like if you didn't go anywhere, you were I mean, it started in Acapulco. Um so it's like, you know, you were getting your money together. You were trying to get your money together. You were trying to get your money to go to Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just super, you know, excited when they brought it to New York a few years ago. They did it um, two years in a row. I think they did 2015 and 2016 or maybe 2014, 2015. I can't recall. They did it in New York um, and it was great. And then they brought it back to Miami. You know, I tell people all the time, the avenues are there. People are out there, but they're not going to want to help you until you are helping yourself. What's in your tool bag? Is there anything in your tool that indicates you are who you say you are? You're an actor. Where's your headshot? Where's your resume? Where's your reel? You know, where can we find you? Is, Is there anything on YouTube where we can see your work? You know, if you're a writer, is there anything published? Is there any like, where can we find you? Where's your website? You know, if you're a journalist, where's your work? You know, if you're an on-camera journalist, where's your social media stuff? Where can we see you do a drop? Where can we see you interview somebody? People want to help you. People inbox me habitually. Case in point, there was a young woman who reached out to me via LinkedIn. And she's like, you know, hi, Tanisha, blah, 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 blah. You know, she reached out to me about two or three times before I finally answered. Because I'm like, okay, this girl is really serious. Let me just give her a response. Let me just qualify her pitch. So I responded back. She wanted to know what it was like or how could she find work working the red carpet space, working entertainment journalism. Because she's now working at two networks here in New York as on-camera talent. You know, so that just goes to tell you where the game is because you got to work two jobs people keep asking me like how come you're not on this how come you're not on that well i'm gonna still have to bartend i'm not going to be working on a network still having to go bartend somewhere not going to be able to do it but um you know so this young lady you know she's asking me very nicely about you know do i have any suggestions as to how she can get started working as an entertainment journalist and i said well first you know you want to begin with pitching the publicist of the events you want to cover and i thought that was a big nugget right Mm -hmm. and she messages me back and she's like well how do i do that and i was just it annoyed me you understand because it's one of those people wants you to Uh, spoon feed them everything right Mm -hmm. you know I had another young kid an African-American gentleman who follows me on social media and you know he inboxed me he's like oh well how can I do you have the email for such and such and such and I'm like did Google shut down (laughs) (laughs) I'm like did Google shut down 
did like, I'm like, let me check my thing for Google. I'm like, they got something up for Women's History Month, so they still this <laughs> Google's still working. You know, and I say to him, you know, I said, you know what, you may want to consider opting your research and development. You might want to consider doing that. And then he gives me this spill like, um, you must don't know me. You know, I do research and development. You know, black people, we need to stick together. And I was just like, while we do need to stick together, you also need to up your research and development because everything that you want is right underneath your hand. All of it. You want to cover the Tony Awards? Here, go to TonyAwards.com and click on Press Room Credential. You want to cover the VMAs? Go to the VMAs.com or whatever it is. Keep Googling. Keep Googling like you do to find a Louis Vuitton bag. Keep Googling like you do to find a red bottom. Keep Googling like you do, you know, when you're trying to, you know, get some information for some chick or some man you're trying to impress. Like, knock it off, y'all. Knock it off. Like, don't inbox me or inbox anybody, for that matter, with this foolishness because you haven't done any of the work. Everything is right underneath your hand. People want to help you, you know, because that's what we're here for. Like, I'm here to help you. I mean, really help you. Not, like, hold your hand and take you, you know, to the— Just, I'm not here to hold your hand, but I'm definitely here to be an aid assist, to you but if i don't see you doing anything like what do you want and you have to show up for people you know show up you know and then when somebody helps you like don't disregard them don't throw them away don't toss them aside either you know because that's the other thing like people are very afraid of is you know somebody just nobody wants to feel like they're they're being used nobody wants to feel like they're being discarded you know so it's just like you know really do your work you know, do it with the spirit of excellence and success, you know, and show up and study and be great. Be great in everything you do, even until you, you know, if you're working a crappy job, because Lord knows I have worked my fair share of crappy jobs, you know, even that crappy job, you know, that hired you when you didn't have a job and it wasn't crappy when you was home looking around on Craigslist or Indeed or whatever, and now you got that crappy job. You know, you even have to do that in the spirit of excellence before the God in the universe moves you, you know, to the next assignment. You got to be grateful. You know what I mean? And respect your authority. And that was a big lesson for me, girl. I had a boss that could have been my child. (laughs) And she was running me, too. (laughs) It took all I had not to just, like, knock her around a few times. You know, but you just have to, you have to respect the authority. You know, if your boss, if you're 40 and your boss is 20, oh, well, that's your boss. That's your boss. (laughs) 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 That is your boss and you got to pay the deference. You got to give it up. You know what I mean? And respect your job. You know, respect the fact that this is you are asking God to give you a gig to, you know, so you can pay your rent, so you can put food on your table, so you can sing your mama a couple bucks, whatever it is, you know, so you can't get the job and just be, you know, not show up on time, you know, take extended lunches, you know, leave early, you know, don't have your reports in, not meeting the deadlines, you know, you have to do it in a spirit of excellence. Leave on good terms. Try to leave on good terms just works, you know, to live high level, 
you know, live every day. Just ask God to give you the strength, the courage, and wisdom, because this is what I have to do so that I can live from my high self, because it's not easy. Because, you know, the woman on the train that keeps stepping on your foot sometimes... Or the man who's like four times your body weight just plumps down next to you because this just happened to me. And I was like <laughs> in a corner, unable to breathe, you know, one time, like, you know, my rhythm, my heartbeat was all raced. You know, I'm like the left ventricle was fighting with the, the left atrium, however the pulmonary, however the heart works. Mom was in there struggling with this big guy sitting next to me. You know, so it was just like every day you just have to, some days are easier than others, you know, but the goal is, you know, to live from your highest self, you know. And another piece of advice I would give is, you know, watch your social media footprint. Watch what you're saying on social media. Everybody is being vetted, you know, even if you're an independent you know, somebody may want to hire you or go into, go into a strategic partnership with you. And depending on what you are writing on social media, you may not get that opportunity. You may get looked over, you know, and so to avoid getting looked over because like you were saying, the game has changed. Even the game changed and now it's trying to change again, you know. So with that, it's like, OK, let me make sure that I'm representing myself well and I'm representing, you know, the culture, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, we become such an individualist, you know, an individualistic society and nobody wants to partner. Nobody believes in community until something has happened to them, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about housing laws until your landlord is trying to illegally evict you. Mm-hmm. You know, but when your homegirl was dealing with the same thing, you were all flimsy about it, you know, last year or the year before. You know what I mean? Somebody's son up the block got shot, you know, and you were like, damn, you know, another black kid shot. But it didn't really hit you until your nephew is lying in a pool of blood. Like, it shouldn't have to take some something happening to you to be a part of the community conversation, you know, and that's just, yeah, we have to get that right. We have to get that right. Like I don't have to experience, you know, everything bad that has happened to you to extend an ear and to just ask for a sympathetic and compassionate heart, you know? So, you know, just really just, you know, take the time and just love yourself. Be easy with yourself and don't be so hard on yourself. You know, there's also this list, 30 under 30, 20 under 20. You know, everybody has to be so exceptional and a big baller, shot caller, you know, you know, 10 people who've made it by the time they were 16. Like, really? <laughs> 16? Wow. It's gotten, you know, society will take you there, you know, and you will feel like an absolute bum loser if you read all this stuff. Knock it off. Knock it off. The system just needs to stop, you know, making people feel like if they haven't done it by 25, 30, 35, you know, whatever, 40, 40, like you live life at your own pace. You live life at your own pace. Like I had to shut some of that stuff down. You know, like, oh, my God, this person, 30 under 30. Well, what the hell am I doing? Am I not great? (laughs) Am I not great with my hot flashes? Am I not great? Like, come (laughs) on. 
come on. It just doesn't work like that. You know, and I'm all about highlighting accomplishments, but, you know, not everybody's going to make a list. You know, and if you don't get on a list and what do you what type of conversations are you going to have with yourself? You know, if you're not on a list and maybe your homegirl is on a list, maybe your homeboy is on a list, you know, and that's great for them. But if you're not on a list, then what conversations are you going to have with yourself? You know, are you not wonderful? Are you still not an unrepeatable event? You know, were you still not created by the matchless hands of God? Are you less than? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like I've always colored outside the lines. You know, I've always been the person, you know, showing up in something that was not, um, you know, in line with what everybody else was wearing, you know, because I'm living my best life. I'm living my best life, you know, and that's all I want anybody to do is to just to live your best life, live your authenticity, you know, and don't feel like you're locked in, you know, because that's my Achilles heel. Girl, I can't stand a contract and I don't like to be locked in. I'm like, wait, I got a sound <laughs> Wait, time out. Time out. Why I got to sign, look, this, not this, but this, like, why I got to sign this? Like, <laughs> don't give me a contract. But, you know, I understand, you know, contracts work to my benefit as well. Mm-hmm. But Lord God, when somebody want me to sign a contract, I'm like, hold up, whole whole minute. Wait a second. You know, um, because I don't like feeling locked in. I don't feel like I don't like feeling locked in and backed up, you know, in a corner, um, you know, and made to feel like I can't change my mind. I can't change my trajectory. You know, um, it's so, so amazing. There's a, a young woman journalist um, who was working for Access Hollywood and she posted online that she was leaving Access. And, you know, she wrote this long letter about, you know, her experience and why she was leaving. And, you know, I was... A range of emotions like went through me as I was reading her letter, you know, because I'm like, you don't owe anybody an explanation. You don't owe anybody an explanation. But because Access Hollywood is so highly coveted, you know, and she was working there so young, very early in her career, and she was no longer, she no longer felt that that was the environment for her, and she left on her own volition. You know, she felt like people were criticizing her. Don't ever let anybody make you feel like you're stuck, that you can't move, regardless as to whether what you have looks like the big cookie. If it ain't the cookie, if it ain't crumbling for you anymore, then it's just time to move on, period. It's just time to move on. You know, you don't ever want to feel like you can't grow or you have to just meet somebody else's ideas of when your benchmarks should be hit. Your benchmarks are between you and God. If you don't hit this particular benchmark until, you know, 20 or 25 or 30, you know, like I'm still, I get sensitive. It's so crazy. An alum from my university texted me last week and she was just like, what year did you graduate, you know, for our alumni thing? And so I told her and she was like, I thought you graduated early. And I was like, well, (laughs) wait a minute, girl, my hands immediately went like this. Lisa, if you're listening, I'm sorry, Lisa. But I got in my feelings because people, you know, 
Like, oh, you didn't graduate on time? But I'm, I said, well, I was simultaneously. Now, we're, this is 20 years later. I'm still in my feelings. <laughs> I was like, well, I was simultaneously working at NBC10 and Fox. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because it just drummed up like, oh, God, you didn't graduate on time. So what? You graduated. Yeah. You know, but the bottom line is it's like you can't you have to move at your own pace. You have like in my mind's eye, graduation was going to happen. This opportunity, I don't know. And I want to do it right now. You know, so it's just like don't allow yourself to get locked in. Dance into the beat of your own drum. You know, if you want to wear an evening gown when everybody else is wearing jeans, go do that. Go do that. Go do it. And you don't need anybody's permission to do it. Like, you're growing, you're out of the house. You have to make your own way, you know? And you can't see yourself if you can't have the courage to be yourself. So many gems. <laughs> huh? I said so many gems. Yeah, well, you know, God bless you for having me. You know, so excited to, you know, spend my afternoon with you guys. Such a great platform. Thank you. But before we go, you had to give us a Dear Black Girl open letter. Dear Black Girl, you are wonderfully made. You are an unrepeatable event. You are beautiful. No one will ever be you. No one can ever duplicate you. Go out in this world and be amazing. Be great. Be unstoppable. Be unmovable. But more than anything, be unapologetic. Love always. Tanisha Laverne Grant.